Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hey, y'all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. We are so appreciative that you are tuning in for our show. And in this show, we're going to be recapping our Culture War series because we covered a whole lot of ground and we want to give y'all a little taste of wheat each a taste of what what each episode was about. So if you missed one or maybe you're like, oh, I need to go back and listen to that, we'll spark that idea and you can get some really great in-depth information in those fuller episodes. But I don't know about y'all, I love a good recap. It helps me know where I've been, where I'm going, what I learned, the important points. I think it really helps just that repetition to be like, Got it. This makes a little bit more sense to me. So that's what we are aiming to do in this And also for new listeners, right? If we have people who are just joining us, this would be a way to kind of get a little taste of each and then go back and really take it in. Yes. We had some incredible guests who came um, and we're just excited for another opportunity to highlight them and be like, this person was awesome. And so is this person. And my goodness, I didn't know anything about this because that did happen in some of our shows for me with a series. Um, okay, any announcements that we have, Nicole? Reminders before we get into it? Well, you know, we can do what's, I feel like, kind of becoming our usual round, which is, if you like what we're doing, it would be so awesome if you left us a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you listen to. If you are not subscribed to the newsletter, by all means, please do subscribe Uh, You'll get some key takeaways in those each week, and it's a great way to just stay in touch. Um, I think those are the the big things that come to mind for me. Yes, and we are going to be launching, we think it's Patreon, we're kind of deciding on the platform, but some sort of member subscription uh, place you can find us where we will have some extra bonus content, so keep an eye out for that. But in the meantime, if you want to support us, we do have a tip jar function And that really helps us keep the show going. And, you know, podcasting, sadly, it's not like super expensive, but it's not free either. So whatever you throw at us, we put back into the show and we really appreciate those who have given. Thank you so, so much. Okay, so with that, let's talk about our Culture War series. So to sort of frame this issue, because we always like to kind of be like, where, what, are, what is this, you know, this landscape looking like that we're about to endeavor upon? We had our first conversation with Jamu Green, who is the CEO of a company, I think it's a nonprofit, called We Defend Truth. And I love her organization and her work. She comes from a strong political background because it's all about helping folks understand misinformation and disinformation. And I'm so appreciative we talked to Jamu because. When we talk about these culture war issues, I think there's so much disinformation and misinformation at play. And I feel like I have a much sharper eye for it now that she gave us some some like tools for our toolbox about how to be more um, media literate and just bring more of a critical eye to the media we're consuming. By no means does she say only 
uh, immerse yourself in the media that feels good. She's like, look at all of it. You you should be going to spaces that you might disagree with. Like that's an important part of your critical thinking, you know, process. So she was a great place to begin this journey. What are some of the things you're remembering from that podcast, Nicole? Well, I didn't even tell you this before we got on, but I challenged myself to think of like one word, maximum two words kind of for for each episode. And for Jamu's, I said framework. And I also said critical thinking. So Mm -hmm. technically, I guess I gave myself three words, but you know where I'm going with this. Um, But, you know, I just kind of echo everything that you've already said. I think it was such a great place to start to really be mindful about what we consume and being really conscious about who's delivering the message, what could be the motivation behind it. Um, I also really appreciated the clarity around disinformation versus misinformation, because I'd heard the two words and I, I think, well, I know that I interchanged them as if they meant the same thing. So for anybody who is listening and isn't aware, uh, disinformation is a purposeful Deceiving. Let's say like de-deceiving. Yeah, yeah. Way of sharing information. I mean, there's an agenda behind it, and it is purposely deceiving someone. Whereas misinformation is a mistake. So it may be that, and I have (laughs) given some misinformation on this show. Um, Certainly not on purpose, but um, you know, little like name things, not anything very deep, you guys. Um, But so anyway, I really appreciated that really basic understanding. And that's what I remember from Jamu's episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm starting, starting to become a pet peeve of mine. I don't know if you feel this way, Nicole, when I'm reading articles and they use the word misinformation. I'm like, actually, that was disinformation. Like they were deliberately trying to skew someone's perception of something. And you can tell that it wasn't like, oopsie, you know, I, I, I shared the wrong date. It was like a deliberate rewriting of the facts. And that happens all the time now, which is why I think a lot of us are hesitant to engage in politics because you, you feel like you don't have solid ground underneath you. A lot of the times you're like, is this legit? I don't know. It's from a researcher. Like it is so hard to feel like you can trust. So I I think that she at least gave me um, some food for thought on how to navigate this complicated landscape. Yes, I think that's such a good point that politics right now often feels very manipulative. It feels as if integrity has really taken a backseat to just pushing agendas. And that can be really destabilizing. So it is I mean, I find myself now if 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 a think tank or some sort of research institute is the source for the information, I'll, now I'll find myself going to the website of that organization and looking at their board of directors because I just want to understand who it is that is funding, who is behind it, and I have found some surprises along the way. So I do I do those things now, and I can see who is presenting the information and view it with a little a little more criticism. Yes. It is a little bit more work, but I think it's worth the effort. And if you're like, oh, I'm too busy, just listen to us and we'll try to help you because we're doing our best to provide accurate information. When we do say something incorrectly, we try to correct it because we are learning. We're going to have mistakes. But what we ultimately seek is that true, that true language around a, a specific issue. Like, 
like for anything we talked about in the series, whether it was gender identity or abortion, a lot of the conversation started with what is this? Because I think sometimes the conversation is already further, you know, a few steps down where they're debating the thing. And it's like, can we at least agree on the thing first? That is so critical and something we really work to do. So with that, I think we should segue into our next episode, which was with Mindy Tackett. And the reason my brain's jumping there, not because she was next, but also because you brought up think tanks and money and Mindy Tackett. You might be like, Tackett, I know that name. Her husband is Chris Tackett, who we featured on the show a few weeks back, and he helped us understand dark money and politics, specifically these two billionaires in Texas who are funding a lot of this, you know, research, quote unquote, candidates, think tanks. And he shined a light on how important it is. Super PACs. How important it is to know where this money's come from because there's an agenda behind the money a lot of the times. So Chris does the money component and Mindy really dug into the Christian nationalism component of things. Claire. Yes. Before we jump into Mindy, because Mm -hmm. let's really dive into Mindy. I just want to give a plug for um, Chris Tackett's social media. I know we've said this before, but I got to say it again. And he recently created this series that is amazing. Uh, You can find it on Instagram. You can find it on TikTok. I'm sure it is on his Facebook also. He... Um, lists the top 25 donors in Texas, and he shares who they gave money to. And it is a very interesting series. And this is from the most recent election in November. So it's very current information, and you can draw your own conclusions. But I highly, highly, highly recommend checking that out. Yes, I love that. Um, and you might be like, why do they, why does like money, 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 money is power in our political system. Um, when I ran for office, uh, something that I remember learning before deciding to run was that money equals communication in campaigns and communication equals votes. So money is such a critical piece of our, I don't know if I would say our democracy, I guess of our government system. So it is important that we know who's giving at these high, high levels because they control a lot of the rhetoric a lot of the agenda behind what our legislators take up in their legislative sessions. So it is important that we know who's behind that money, what ideology is behind, you know, their um, contributions. So money, we're always going to come back to money. All right. So Mindy Tackett. Wow. So Christian nationalism um, was one of those things, like a lot of these topics, like, critical race theory, where you hear it, and it was like, I don't really know that I know what this is. And she did a great job explaining it to us. So Nicole, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but do you have a quick definition um, for Christian nationalism? Oh, well, I like the challenge, actually. Okay, Let's (laughs) let's see if I can do it. It is an ideology that purports to be based in Christianity. Um, It also... um, Oh boy, here we go. Okay, so it is an ideology that puts forth the idea that America is a nation that was founded on Christian values and therefore should continue to be guided by Christian values and that it is our rightful place in the world as a nation to be dominant over others and that Christianity is the natural dominant religion and value uh, foundation of this country. That's a lot. That wasn't very succinct. I think I could get better at it. That's okay. (laughs) 
we're, we're doing our best. But uh, some, some of the notes that I wrote down was that Christianity deserves privilege in this ideology and that there is not a separation of church and state. So the thing that I'm so grateful. Well, for, but let's clarify that too, right? Oh, well, right. It's that religion. Well, that the state is not allowed to interfere in religion, but religion is allowed to interfere in the state. It's that mm-hmm. it's this weird one way sort of belief about the way it all should work. Right. Anyway. And, and the religion being Christianity, but even Christianity, not in a very particular sense of it, in a very, uh, honestly, like white nationalist um, umbrella, I don't know if umbrella is right, but, but white nationalist being... Um, it's it's kind of a distortion of the Christianity, at least I grew up with, um, and what they push forward. So the thing that was important for this conversation and that I took away was that Christian nationalism is so infused in Texas politics, very much so at the state level. And again, this ties back to our conversation with Chris Tackett and the two billionaires, Tim Dunn and Ferris Wilkes, who fund a lot of the elections here in this state. Their ideology is that of, I mean, this is going to get a little bit in the weeds, but Seven Mountains Dominionism, um, where the church is very much in control of seven sectors being government, church, family, education, media, and business. So it's this whole encompassing um, system that very much controls the lives of Americans. And we see this in a lot of the bills that are put forward at the state legislature. Um, It's very much from their ideology. And like a particular bill I'm thinking of, and a lot of our episodes kind of feed into one another, but like the abortion um, bill that passed recently, which essentially restricts abortions here in Texas. You can only get one if the life of a mother is threatened. And even that's been a little fuzzy. Um, That's from, you know, that's very much from this ideology of Christian nationalism. So it's important to know what their agenda is and to stop and pause and ask, is this what most of us want? Because this is a representative democracy our democracy is intended to reflect the will of the people, but a lot of these bills and and um, you know rules they want to put in place are not what most Texans want. It is the, the, this is something Mindy said over and over about power and control, power and control. And most of us just want to live our lives and have government take care of the things government's supposed to take care of. Uh, but their worldview is pretty fringe. But because there's so many elected officials who are backed by them, it's feeling more mainstream. Is that the impression you got, Nicole? Yes, for sure. Um, And you touched on, or, you know, I used a slightly different word, but I think this is the same meaning, which is my word for this episode was fabric, right? It just feels like the fabric that underlies so much of what we see happening in Texas. And I also wanted to back up just a teeny bit in talk about what we mean when we say it's an ideology. I feel like that could maybe be something we could define a little bit. And and you can tell me if you agree with this, Claire, but by ideology, we mean, you know, it's a set of beliefs and ideas that, and it's strict, especially in the case of Christian nationalist ideology, it's very strict and it does not allow for sort of questioning 
It rarely allows for nuance. And what we see happening, particularly in Texas, is that um, it's very it's very binary. It's like you you believe and you do it, and if you don't, you are the enemy. And I feel like we see that theme play out a lot, and that's something that's going to keep coming up in these culture war episodes that we're going to continue to talk about. Is that underneath what's happening here in Texas is this Christian nationalist ideology that is very strict, that is very, um, I don't know. I would say it's very counter to our true founding because they want to blur the lines between church and state. Whereas in the founding of this nation, it was very much about a separation, about the freedom to choose your religion. And we see more of that blurring. And an example that Mindy gave was the In God We Trust bill that, um, I think in God we trust has to be displayed in um, public government buildings. Is this right, Nicole? I don't know if it has to be, but it can be. Maybe it can be. Yeah. And the idea behind that is might be like, oh, well, it's in God we trust. It's in our money. But it's, again, retooling this narrative that we're a Christian nation founded on Christian principles when we're not. I mean, that is that is not the the way the founding fathers intended for our, our, for our government to function. So they're trying to slowly roll back this true story of our founding. The other example that we're seeing a lot right now is book bans. We're seeing a lot of schools um, having to pull books out of their classrooms because they might have pornographic material or, and there's a lot of fuzziness about what is permissible and not permissible. And it's based on their idea of what's, what's, um, I don't know, what's good and what's not good. (laughs) Instead of like historically what we have deferred to the professionals on our librarians, our teachers. Yes. There's a lot of replacing people who have God, this is another theme, right? We're going to see this again and again. There's a lot of replacing experts, people who have made it their life's work to be experts in certain, you know, functions of society, replacing that with this ideology that this is supreme. This is what should guide all things. We see that again and again and again. Yes. Yes. Very much a hierarchy in um, the dominant, the dominant group. Um, and that's why we take a lot of issue with it because that is not that is not good for a fair society um, where we can all express ourselves the way we want to. Uh, so we can talk so much more about Mindy's Ooh. episode. Yes, definitely listen to that one. It was incredible. But for the purpose of time, we will move on to our next one, which was a two-parter episode because there was so much incredible content about gender identity where we spoke with Ash Hall. Okay, so gender identity, I learned a lot in this one, Um, just about, like, just misconceptions I had, you know, like, especially, like, with transgender, I'll just share, like, I had this idea that transgender is about transitioning to a destination, like, maybe you're transitioning from male to female, and that's where you end, and Ash helped me realize that actually sometimes you stay in that non-binary. And I'm like, oh, you can do that? I don't know that. So that was just good to realize. But um, that right now in our state, we 
are not seeing a celebration of differences. We're seeing a lot of suspicion, a lot of um, an, um, antagonism towards folks who don't fall into this binary, like male or female. This middle space is very um, uncomfortable for our legislators. So we're seeing these bills that are saying, you can't be there. And if you are there, there's something wrong with you. Uh, Nicole, I feel like you should take over more on this one because you like really understand these consequences that are coming out from these really discriminatory bills and policies. Yes. And this is ever evolving, right? I, I just saw something last night that I'll, I'll wind up talking about. But my word for these episodes was curiosity. I think my hope my dream is that more people would be curious and instead of just sort of ingesting and digesting a particular narrative that people would be more willing to ask questions and be curious. What does it mean to be queer? What does it mean to be under the LGBTQIA umbrella? What does all of that mean? And instead of drawing conclusions, first be curious. And so, um, I just feel like that's a really good starting place. And I know that for people, this can be deeply uncomfortable. It challenges a lot of the most basic things that we were taught or just that we sort of absorbed as we were growing up. But it it is really important, I think, that we make the effort to understand each other. And um, especially in this time in Texas, when there are multiple multiple bills that have been filed that aim to essentially, I mean, if we're really, if I'm going to be honest about it, and of course I must, um, (laughs) legislate away the existence of people. Um, There is, there is so much desire, it feels like in the legislature to not even acknowledge the existence of, of certain folks. There's a lot of, of rhetoric that is incredibly damaging to people. Um, And by that, I mean, there's a lot of kind of predatory language that's used to describe people who are queer. There's a lot of language around um, pedophilia, as if there's this over-sexualizing that happens from people who do not understand gender identity, and it immediately becomes about sexualizing. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate because that's not that's not at all. I'm not saying that there isn't sexuality that is involved. Of course, that's a part of the discussion, but it's a minor part of the discussion. And honestly, it's private. And I don't even think that most people, that's where they would start when they talk about queer identities and gender identity. So um, I think for me, the real struggle too is the the real attack that is happening on kids, right? This isn't just staying in an adult arena at all. We already know that kids who are gender nonconforming are not allowed to play sports of the gender that they identify as. That's already happened for kids. Um, Right now, we know that there's legislation that's been proposed that would disallow gender-affirming care which you'll hear in the episode, can be as innocent as just socially transitioning your child, allowing them to use another name, allowing them to dress in the clothing that they feel best represents their identity. Um, 
which allows the state then to come into families and potentially remove children. So it's it's a really frightening time. There's also apparently legislation that's been proposed that if you have a Y chromosome that you are designated male, which is just wild. Um, so it there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to be curious about. And unfortunately, the state of our current legislature, there's also a lot to be frightened about in terms of what they're considering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say when you're curious, maybe ask yourselves, are these bills pulling us together or are they driving a wedge between us? And us, I mean, like us as Texans, us as citizens of the United States, like what is the intention behind this? And I would err on the side of let's have bills that build us up, bring us together. And if they're going to harm other folks and create this in and out group, that's something we should really pause on. And and like you're saying, Nicole, be curious about, be like, what, what is the thinking behind this, behind saying these children can't play in this sport? Who does that harm? Who does that benefit? And even if it harms a small group, it still harms them. And we know that transgender youth have such a high risk for suicide that we really have to be particularly careful with these children um, collectively. I mean, another big theme I think of this series is this, I would say this call to return to collectivism, that we're all responsible for one another and the politicians we vote for and the bills they put forward because it personally impacts people. And I would love to see bills that impact us positively, not negatively. So there is a lot, a lot that I'm learning in this realm for sure. And I'm just grateful Ash spoke with us, um, at least gave me a better way to, un- to kind of frame my thinking. And um, it's just a shame that so much of the political oxygen right now is spent towards talking about transgender issues and pronouns and, and things like that harm Texans. So... I, I'm glad I know more about this. And the more I know too, the more I get upset. Cause I'm like, this is, I don't feel like a lot of these bills are put forward in good faith. Like something we even talked about with Ash was, um, intersex folks, like folks who were born with both male and female organs. It's like, what about them? Like sexuality is complicated. It's not as clean as you want it to be. So let's talk about that. Like, why are we trying to, um, exert this, what feels like power and control? So, yeah, it's a huge distraction when I think we can all acknowledge that there are collective problems that need to be addressed and this just doesn't feel like it, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that that should be front and center, but this is what is taking a lot of oxygen, again, um, in our current state uh, legislative session. So pay attention to it. It 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 is impactful. It does matter, and um, we encourage y'all to just be aware of it as as a great place to start. And then perhaps you decide to take that to like a level of advocacy. So check out that those two episodes. They were incredible, and the minis were great too. We talked more about like the difference between sexuality and gender expression and gender identity because they are different. Nicole helped me understand this. So all. Good things to know. Okay, let's move on to our conversation with Nicole Golden. She is the CEO of Texas Gun Sense, and we talked about gun control 
gun safety measures. Um, this is a very important topic. Obviously, we live in Texas, a state that where gun violence is on the rise. And we have to ask ourselves, why does this happen? Is there a way to prevent this? Um, and there is. It's called it's called gun 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 uh, contr- common sense gun reform, and yet there's a lot of resistance to it. So we of course wanted to understand why. The thing I really loved about Nicole's story is that she got into activism after. Well, I don't know if I love this. I'm interested in after the Sandy Hook shooting, like that really resonated with her, really touched her heart, and she decided this is where I want to put my time, effort, and energy to help change the way our nation um, approaches gun ownership. I can definitely identify with that. You know, Uvalde happened not that long ago where many children were murdered. And um, now that I'm a mom, like I, I, I can feel that that different state of mind because it's like you you put yourself, you're, you feel closer to that person's position to those parents who lost their kids. And you're like, that should never have happened to them. How do I make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else? So she really helped us understand what we're talking about when we say common sense gun reform. What do you think about this one, Nicole? Yes, my word slash words, remember, because I at least gave myself to was common ground. <laughs> um, I felt like she was really good at emphasizing that there is common ground on this issue um, that a majority of Texans support and believe in. And so it would be really wonderful if we could see some of those things happen also, um, I would say that um, I didn't write this word down, but it just occurred to me. I remembered how they were so adaptive, right? If they felt like they couldn't make any progress within the legislature, then they would find other means. Maybe go to local grassroots organizations and work with them or go to school districts and talk to them about, you know, um, promoting, what are those called? Like the safety boxes, just she was really good at showing how you can adapt even when you can't get sort of like your number one priorities passed. So I was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was super impressive. Yes. Well, and the thing I remember is, is the fact that she said the rate of gun violence has been increasing and we have so many more guns here in Texas now than we did like say 10 years ago. And then whenever mass shootings happen, the sale of gun guns goes up. So there is that correlation, which is understandable. I mean, you can be like, oh my goodness, there's danger out there. What do I, I have to protect myself. How can I protect myself? I buy a gun. Um, but there's but th- even that like line of thinking, you know, for me was challenged in this episode that actually more guns don't make us more safe. They actually increase the rate of violence. Is that, that's right. Right, Nicole? Yes. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times too, you know, Nicole did a good job of pointing this out. Nicole, our Nicole, Nicole Abshire, that um, we hear a lot of the, stories we hear about guns are mass shootings. And yes, those happen, but they don't happen as often when we talk about like gun violence in general. Typically we're talking about suicides or like one-on-one violence. Partner violence. Yeah. Um, And that's just important. Or community violence, I think maybe it's called. But yeah, Yeah. people who are within your community that perpetrate crimes against one another. Yeah. Right. So, So it's just so important that 
if we're going to live in a society that has lots of guns, we need to find a way to be educated about it, to have good policies that still protect those of us um, who maybe don't have guns. We just need to to do a better job caring for one another. And that a, a big piece of that is having better gun control measures, which she definitely works for and Texas could um, could use as front of mind. Because um, I think a lot of the rhetoric I hear, at least right now in the legislative session, especially around like school violence, is we need to harden schools. We need to make it harder for perpetrators to get access to our children. And that's a component, of course. But the other side is, what are we doing to make sure that people who have guns are storing them safely, have proper training, you know, aren't grabbing their gun in these heated moments. Education is such an important component. So let's, let's like have that full um, holistic conversation. And that's definitely what her organization does. And they have an advocacy day coming up. Um, so if y'all want to do more, that's a great opportunity. I, we've been sharing that on social media, but Nicole, if you want to talk for a minute, maybe I can pull it up and just say it in the show. Well, sure. Um, I would also want to emphasize that, well, I mean, it's like, I don't want to emphasize this, but Texas is a permitless carry state at this point. So you can open carry without having to have a permit, which means that you don't have to have any sort of training to own a firearm. But what I will say is that that the Department of Public Safety does offer, does offer free training. So you can still choose to be trained in the proper use of your firearm. So, and it is important that you do seek that out because there are things that you might not know in terms of your responsibility as being a gun owner, unless you seek that training, like there's, you, it, we recommend it. <laughs> Just we that. love learning more, so do it. Yeah, take that next step. Okay, and quickly for the advocacy day, this is going to be Tuesday, February twenty eighth. Um, if you follow Texas Gun Sense on their social media, they have the information, um, but they are going to go to the Capitol and talk to legislators. So this is a great opportunity if this is maybe one of those issues that you're like, that really um, is something that I feel connected to and I want I want to be more involved. Great opportunity to take that next step. Okay, let's move on to our next episode where we talked about immigration and we interviewed Oriel Garcia, who is a reporter with the Texas Tribune. Oriel was a really fascinating person to talk to um, because, well, he shared with us in the episode that he is an immigrant. He was brought here to the U.S. Um, from Mexico when he was one years old. Now, it's it was a good reminder. Nicole asked this, like, can we talk about that? And he was like, oh, I prefer to highlight the stories of the people I write about. Because Nicole and I, we're not journalists. So we're like, oh, we love the personal. Let's dig in more there. But we have to remember that um, some people, you know, they like to put the spotlight on on others. And this is um, what very much informs Odiel's writing. So it was also interesting because he lives in El Paso. He lives on a border town. And he was able to tell us what that experience is like living on a border town. I think we have this idea th or some of the, some in the media create this idea of the border being chaotic and crazy and dangerous. And he said, you know, from my experience, um, 
I can still go out to eat. I can still live my life. It's not this chaotic world that's being put forth. Um, and I, I don't know that that's to say that's the experience across the border. The other thing I thought about, Nicole, was we went to this Texas Tribune event where they were talking about a pre- previewing the legislative session, the upcoming session, and they had a panel on immigration. And they had folks from like all up and down the border. And the Texas border is huge. And some cities were like, actually, things are fine here. Like in McAllen, they're like, they used to be kind of... Um, I want to say out of control, but but a little more um, unwieldy. And then now it's not the case. And then like further up, this one woman was like, it's actually really bad here. Like there's a lot of movement back and forth through the border. And then like El Paso, they're like, actually, El Paso is fine. So we have to remember when we talk about the border, we're talking about a huge amount of land and it's not ubiquitous. Like it, it can be different depending on where maybe more people are passing through. So I found that as another additional supplement that really helped my understanding of immigration. What do you yeah, think, Yeah, uh, that has been a super interesting subject for me because for sure, I would say of all the culture war issues that we talked about, this one was the one where I had the most deficit in terms of even understanding the basics. So I really appreciated um, Uriel coming to speak to us. So my words... Um, were complex and neglected. That's what I feel when I think about the border is that it is such a complex issue. And it also feels like one that's been neglected for a really long time. And unfortunately, that neglect has compounded, I think, the problems. It's also allowed the rhetoric around the border to become even more inflammatory. And um, so that's what adds to the complexity is that there's a lot of voices with a lot of different perspectives. Um, there's a lot of truth in the things that people say. And that just makes it really um, a very heightened conversation. Um, so I, for me, this is one where every time I hear somebody speak about the border, I take in a little more information And I had to re-listen to that episode. And then going to that panel discussion that you mentioned also helped me understand some more things. So this was really an opportunity for me to think about how I learn, which is often through repetition. Mm -hmm. And I've had to just keep learning, keep reading articles, and maybe um, talking about the different issues at the border. The first time I read it wouldn't have made much sense. But now when I go to read these things, it starts to click. It starts to make more and more sense because there's just, there really is a lot to consider, right? There's pathways to citizenship. There um, is the reasons why people come. There's the access to those pathways to citizenship. There's the ideas of unskilled labor versus skilled labor and how that affects all of this. There, There is criminality that we do have to consider because there are also, of course, there are criminal elements that take advantage of the other side of this, which is, you know, people who are genuinely fleeing persecution in their home country. And there are criminal elements that take advantage of that and try to slip through. So there's just, there is a lot to think about. Um, and it's it's worth the investigation <laughs> because this is something that we've ignored as a society for too long. Um, and it's just become this political football. But hopefully we will start to see some forward movement. Absolutely. Something that really stuck out to me that 
Uriel shared in this episode was that immigration laws are arbitrary. And a lot of times we'll hear folks who are um, naturalized citizens now say, well, why don't the people coming to America do it the right way? And when they say that, they think of the way that they became a citizen. They don't realize that these laws change, that they're very fluid, that the path is not a permanent path. Like it is one day it's there, one day it's not. Maybe it changed a little bit. And that's something I really took away was that we might have this con- preconception of what the path looks like, but this path is um, this path is not permanent. It is very um, ephemeral. Wait. What's a good word, Nicole? <laughs> um, I I mean, I'm going to go back to arbitrary, right? Arbitrary, it, it, it yeah. is, I mean, yeah, or maybe even like fickle. It's like it's, it's yeah. there is a lot of that changes over time. And um, so, yes, what existed at one point, as you're pointing out, may not exist today. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he also said that... Um, there's always an excuse not to solve the problem. But what we're seeing now is like, this is a problem. It's a problem that there's people who are in desperate situations that are trying to flee their home countries, don't have a way to find a better life. It's a problem that, um, like Nicole saying, there's criminality happening. It's a problem that we don't have a cohesive plan. And th- this needs to happen. There, there should be more attention on this. And, I'm glad that I have better understanding of it so that when these debates and discussions have happen, I can say there's, this is complicated, but to, to, to just say not today is it's way past due. Like we have to figure out something and pressure our representatives to take this up. Oh, and one more complication, right? Which is that this is the border of course is a federal Mm -hmm. issue but obviously it affects us deeply as a state because yes. we have such a, a long border stretch. And I so that is up. another level of complication. Yeah, our border is 1,254 miles. A lot of border here in Texas. A lot of border. All right, well, we'll leave that there. We encourage you all to learn more about immigration. Really interesting and ever-changing as we found out. Okay, so I think our last show was with Dr. Tiffany Pewitt. Is that right, Nicole? Oh, no, we've had <gasps> oh! abortion. See, I knew I was going to do this. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, our abortion episode. Yes, so we talked about abortion with Scott White. And this was one where I just wanted us to, like, pause, you know, try not to get too emotionally, like, ah, we're going to talk about abortion. You know, the, the word that just feels so loaded First, I was like, let's just say, what is an abortion? Let's understand uh, what that actually means. And Scott gave a really good framework and definition. And he said, um, an abortion is when the products of a pregnancy exit the body prematurely. Right, Nicole? Something along those lines. Yeah. And this was important, I think, to start with because... When women say have a miscarriage or a stillbirth, some of these things are medically considered abortions. They are um, not deliberate. So there's a difference between a deliberate abortion and a non-deliberate abortion. And, you know, because we've had so many laws put forth recently around abortion, restricting it, there's women who are like, I'm anti-abortion. 
And they will look at their medical records and see that their doctor has written like abortion, abortion. They're like, I never had an abortion. Well, your miscarriage is medically considered an abortion. So I think that's a good place to start with so that people understand um, right off the bat the complexity of abortion. Yes. Sorry about that. My delay. My <laughs> word for this or yeah, for this episode and issue was confusion. There's a lot of confusion. And of course, it's a, such an emotionally fraught issue. So that confusion can be very, again, emotional for people. And um, so it was really interesting to have it broken down in the ways that Scott did framing it in terms of what an abortion is medically, what we're talking about when we do approach faith and spirituality, um, what it means when we talk about it politically. Like, There's a lot of different ways to consider and look at abortion, and it can also be very confusing. Yes, it is very confusing because there's so many different components. Um, we're talking about um, you know, the big, the big question of like, what is life? When does life begin? And then from there, how do you work that into your legislation in a way that's fair for all citizens? And the truth is, this is one topic where no one will ever be happy, like no one, but I mean, like all of us in what's decided because there's groups with such, um, such views of what it should and shouldn't be. So I think this is something that we're going to be debating and going back and forth on, for as long as we're a country. Um, the thing I'm trying to do in my understanding of abortion is just recognize the complexity of it and extend compassion to people who are in these positions because it's it's hard. You know, I think any person who gets pregnant and doesn't want to be, you're in a really hard, okay, I'll step back, being pregnant, hard, you know, and then if you don't want to want to be even harder. So how do we support that person that they can make a good decision for themselves? Um, it's just, there's so much at play in this conversation. And the thing I really like about Scott is that he came to this just wanting to learn, wanting to understand all those different facets. His Instagram is let's talk about abortion and TX. And I'm like, right, we have to start with talking about this out loud so we can collectively figure out, okay, what's best for us as a country? Um, it's hard, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real tough one, but I just appreciate the, the knowledge that I gleaned from him and that I'm still learning. Yes. And my hopes for this legislative session are that more clarity is provided, especially for physicians, so that they are able to make the choices to intervene on behalf of patients in the ways that that also allows them to practice their their, you know, medical expertise with integrity. I feel like that's a that we saw that as we did more investigating that doctors are really, um, they have their hands tied. They have to, there's a lot of confusion around what is when a woman is, uh, when their life is being threatened. And so there's a lot of waiting that's happening. That's very painful, I think, for everyone concerned. So I hope that there is some confusion that is provided, sorry, not confusion provided. We've already had the confusion, <laughs> pardon me, clarity that is provided during this legislative session. 
Yes. And let's take a step back because I had an incorrect assumption, even in the interview that we did with Scott. So the law currently in Texas is that you cannot get an abortion unless the life of the mother is threatened or she risks like intense bodily harm. So if you're raped and you want an abortion, you cannot get that in Texas. If your pregnancy is a result of incest, you cannot get an abortion in Texas, like at any point in your pregnancy. So it's very, very limited who is allowed to have an abortion legally. And how this is playing out is doctors are waiting until the women's lives are so um, close to death that they feel like, okay, now we can intervene. And they are taking a lot of direction from these ethics panels that hospitals have set up and for them to decide, okay, I think we can cover our ass enough and, and, and make the case that this was threatening the life of the mother so that you can intervene now. And there's so much suffering happening from folks who want to carry out their pregnancies, but know that they're not going to be able to deliver a healthy baby and their health is being impacted by it. So lots of, I don't know if they're intended or unintended consequences, but lots of consequences from these fuzzy bills. And like Nicole saying, we need more clarity. We need more, it needs to be clearer because it's not fair to Texans who are bearing the brunt of these bills. Yes. No matter the size of the population, if we can provide relief for people, we ought to provide relief for people. Mm -hmm. And I guess the last thing I'll say is in our conversation with Scott, you know, a lot of this falls back to this question of life. When does life begin? You know, the life of the the unborn child. But I kept thinking, what about the life of the mother? You know, there there's two lives at play. And I feel like our bills now, the, the, mo- the mother, the pregnant person is taking the back seat. And I am really concerned about that. I'm just concerned about that. And I wish that legislators would also be very concerned about how are we impacting the people who are asking to carry these pregnancies. We need to make sure that they, um, that their lives aren't in jeopardy. Absolutely. Important stuff. Okay. Last one. So for our final episode in our culture war series, we spoke to Dr. Tiffany Pewitt, who explained to us what critical race theory is, because we hear so much about critical race theory today. And it's one of those things where I think um, it gets, there's tons of disinformation and misinformation happening around it. So we were like, let's understand what this is and why there's so much, ah, like craziness around it. So she was like the perfect guest. I am so grateful she said yes to this interview because she brings um, such a well-rounded balance and understanding to this topic. Um, So Nicole, you want to take on the challenge of what critical race theory is? Let's see how I do. Well, I do want to start by saying that it is an academic study that is most commonly found in graduate school level courses, not even undergrad, but more typically found in graduate level coursework. So I just want to point that out to you. But what it is, is um, an an inquiry-based study that is about looking at racism, having its, okay, I'm like, am I okay with saying it that way? I was going to say that in order to sort of properly investigate racism, it is important to also consider the institutional implications of it. 
that you cannot simply look at racism as an interpersonal, individual kind of acts of um, discriminating against people who are um, not white. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, I, I'm talking myself into a corner. But I think like what is really important is to look at racism as being embedded in our institutions. How about that? Yes. We are the students trying to articulate what our teacher told us. So, of yes. course, go back to the episode if, if you want a very concise definition. Oh, please do. But that was please great, do. Nicole. Uh, I wrote down CRT centers on the idea that the real power of racism is structural. So, again, this idea that um, it's a structural versus individual understanding of racism and power structures, and, and I'm even thinking now even the world um, – recognizing that structural component and how critical that is to changing our world for the better, I would say, is what critical race theory was trying to do, was trying to to look at the world and say, there's so much inequity, there's so much um, that we can't change, Like, but what is it that's holding us back? And I think their conclusion was the structures in place. And I think specifically, they were looking at the legal system so challenging the structures that we live with that are kind of the air we breathe. And the thing I appreciated about CRT is that for me, it felt like it took this pressure off me, like individually, off the individual to like correct all these wrongs. It's like, okay, like I could never do that. It's too big of a, of a mountain to climb. But if it's a collective effort, a collective movement, then we can start to see real change happen for the better. Now, there's been a lot of resistance to this. There's a lot of bills that have been introduced to kind of squash this idea of thinking systemically because it feels very threatening. Is that the impression you got, Nicole? 100%. I also think it's interesting, Claire, I just like, this is so minor, but it's just something that I'm thinking about. So let's see if I can get it out coherently, which is that... I think that you just spoke of critical race theory as sort of in, in a solutions-minded kind of way. But I think what's interesting to maybe think about is that it, it isn't actually solutions-minded, right? It is just an area of study. What people do with the knowledge that they gain in that area of study might be very solutions-based, might be challenging structures and institutions, but I think that it's important for us to maybe just like start thinking about this move. We see it here in Texas a lot to challenge, really attack ideas. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like they're already sort of like preemptively striking because they know that knowledge is power and that when people start to learn certain things and gain knowledge, they do then tend to want to come up with solutions, make change for the better. Right. But CRT isn't like, it isn't solution space. Like it isn't prescribing how we solve the problem. It is simply asking, what's the problem? Right. No, I'm glad you made that distinction because I think, and this is why our episode with Dr. Tiffany Pewitt was so great, that we just sort of stopped on it and let it be. But I think what I'm doing and what we're all kind of doing right now collectively is saying CRT and, and it's this, and it's that, and it's that. 
um, instead of just letting it be the inquiry that it is, um, we're taking that next step, which I just did. I see it as this great model for like, okay, and then like, where do we go from there? Well, the truth is that is what makes it threatening, right? I mean, like, of course you do that. That is why it is being attacked Mm -hmm. because it, it is undeniable that when you start to see and understand better how the world operates and you see how racism is codified into our laws and policies, you can't then not want to see those things change. We can all agree that racism is wrong. Who's going to tell you that racism isn't wrong? Anybody will. And so that is sort of the next way of dealing with racism in a really effective way. Mm -hmm. And so that is unfortunately threatening to some. Absolutely. Yes. Um, She also helped us understand some of the bills that were passed in the last session that weren't explicitly called CRT bills, but um, were sort of informed by that ideology, um, specifically House Bill 3979 and Senate Bill 3. I think it was Senate Bill 3. Um, And these were bills saying that... I'm trying to remember what these bills said. They were censorship bills, essentially, but um, specifically... Do you remember specifically? Well, they do talk a lot about what can be taught in classrooms and how they can be taught. So there is a long list, which is is interesting because some of the things on that list, I mean, honestly, if if you 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 wouldn't expect them to be there. In other words, like they do like specifically mention things like the um Martin Luther King Jr.'s Birmingham letter from when he was in jail. Like there is a list of documents that you wouldn't think Texas lawmakers would want to see taught. So it it is there's a it, there's a little bit of confusion. So but baked into it is this idea that um that America there is such a thing as American exceptionalism. There's also like Texas exceptionalism that if there is any racism that um exists that was not the founding fathers intent that that is I I don't even know how they think that you know, that that happened, sort of. It's it's really interesting that that is, it's a deviation from the founding father's intention. Um, there is policy built in that you cannot have, well, they mentioned the 1619 project specifically, that it cannot be used in Texas classrooms. Um, so it's it's pretty wide ranging. And that's, again, we get back to more confusion. That's what's made it difficult for educators to figure out what's okay, what's not okay. Mm-hmm. And um, and SB3 was meant to provide some clarity, but it hasn't. Mm-hmm. And again there- and again in this series, we see these bills that are unclear And something that we heard a lot in our series was a chilling effect, that these bills have a chilling effect because no one really knows what they can and can't do. They err on the side of caution. And, and we ended up, we end up losing, we end up losing really good dialogue about these complicated issues in the classroom. We end up, women end up losing when it comes to the abortion restrictions and that their suffering is additional and necessary it just happens over and over. And that was a big thing I took away from the series on a whole was that these um, vague, fuzzy bills are are not good for Texans. That if we're going to be 
passing bills, they need to have clear instructions for people so that they know what the consequences really are. Um, the other thing that was so great about Dr. Tiffany Pewitt was her strong understanding of religion and how religion informs our policies, our way of seeing the world. She really emphasized the diversity of Texas. And yet in our representative body, we don't see that reflected back on us and how that's important. It's important that we have people in positions of power who look like us, who are thinking about the broader electorate. So she starts from that place. And I just thought it was so important that she emphasized it and also sort of tied it back to the beginning of the culture war series where we're talking about Christian nationalism, how all these things really do inform each other. And the last thing I'll say is I didn't realize this, but one of the um, folks who created this framework, this critical race theory framework was Kimberly Crimshaw and she created the word intersectionality. And I was like, that's the best word ever. Cause like everything sort of intersects, um, So, I mean, I learned a lot, but that's one thing I wrote down. Yeah, there was so much in that episode. That was definitely one where I took a few days to just try to let it all soak in. Um, Yeah, if we're kind of wrapping up, I feel like there are some definite themes in this this whole series. So I kind of, I wrote those down, which is, you know, there's, again, we see a lack of clarity um, in so many of these issues, which leads to just this this confusion and a chilling effect, right? People then begin to self-censor because so many of the policies that Texas has enacted based on a lot of these culture war issues have real consequences for people. When we're talking about CRT, for instance, you know, there is the threat of losing your job, losing your your teacher's certificate, which means that you couldn't be a teacher in the state of Texas. So that's a, that's a real threat, right? Mm-hmm. That's your livelihood. That's how you make a living. For many people, it is their passion, right? You don't teach because it's an easy job. You do it because you believe in educating. And um, so unfortunately, that leads to a lot of self-censorship. Um, and then, too, for some people, just a lot of of exhaustion and frustration, which obviously we know there's a big loss of teachers and we have a lot of um, teacher shortages across the state. So these things have real consequences that yeah. are, are, are really negative. Um, another just theme from this whole series that I noticed is this sort of also like this refusal, it feels like for the lawmakers who create these policies to acknowledge the consequences and then deal with those consequences. This it's it's clear that there is confusion and there are many people who are refusing to step forward and provide the guidance that is needed. We see it in education, we see it um, in abortion in the medical field. Uh, we see it um, in gender identity, you know. There there's a lot of the refusal to acknowledge the harm that is created and the confusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of ground that we covered. And um, I think it was so important and timely because the Texas Texas is currently in its 88th legislative session where they are passing new bills, bills that might make things better for Texans or worse. So we need to pay attention to these things. And I think for me, it just starts with awareness and understanding. And then when these bills come up, I have a better framework for, okay, so how is this going to impact things? 
Um, and hopefully we helped, you know, lay some more of that ground for y'all. We definitely learn from our listeners. So if you have great articles that explain things in an easy to understand way, share them with us because we are on this learning journey and we want to bring y'all along with us. Um, And we're just curious, you know, what is still resonating? What do you want to know more about? I'll just preview and say real quickly that our next series is going to be about food insecurity in Texas. So keep an eye out for that. But there's politics. It touches everything. It's about power. It's about who has power, who doesn't have power. So um, we'll, we'll always have great material and things will change as we learned with immigration. A lot of things are changing. Yes. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's going to be really interesting to see how things continue to unfold. Whew. Yes. We want to have a great state. We want people to have a really great quality of life. So that's our, you know, our uh, holy grail and what we're going to push for, push forward for. Um, but I think that's about it. And this was a little bit long, but I hope y'all took away some information. Even if you did listen to our series, go back and listen again. I listened multiple times because our experts are incredible and they're always laying so many gems. Um, but thank you for sticking with us and we can't wait to talk to you next time. Thank you everybody for joining me, Nicole Abshire and my co-host Claire Campos O'Neill on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com where you'll find links to all of our social media and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.